0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today today, to be here with Renee Eirely, who's really uh, somebody who's been influential around City Hall for a few years, and lately she was just hired, appointed as Assistant City Administrator, so that's a really big role. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff, but first, Renee, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks so much for having me on this. It's really a pleasure to to talk to you today.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Um, You know, it's just like, I, I watch you doing your presentations at city council meetings. And, you know, I'm the reporter. And during the pandemic, we don't get to go to City Hall much anymore. So, I, you know, it's like you're a TV star. It's like I feel like, oh, it's Renee Irley. She's giving a presentation. So I think I feel as though I'm a little bit more understanding of what you do, uh, you know, every week because, you know, I watch you when you give these presentations. So I appreciate you taking the time to to be on the show and talk about your background and some of the really important issues going on in the city. Uh, we're going to talk about you and your background and you know how you came to Santa Barbara. Everything you've been working on. But first, I wanted to just sort of lead with. The news Uh, recently, the city of Santa Barbara has been working to move people who are living in encampments in the high fire uh, hazard areas and moving them into, in this case, the Rose Garden Inn, a hotel. And that has been, as far as I can tell, a pretty big success. There's a lot of work went into it and moving people from the encampments. But you were in charge of that project, so can you can we start there? Sort of talk about. What has Santa Barbara done with the people who are living in the encampments? And what is this program that people seem to be talking so uh, proudly about right now?
1: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, it really is the topic of the hour. Obviously, homelessness, not just our our community, but really everywhere is something that we're all grappling with. And... (laughs) We were making, I think, some strides in that, particularly um, prior to COVID. I've been leading our encampment response team for over the last three years, which is an interdisciplinary team. And I would say that it was managing uh, the size and location of encampments, but not really attached to really solving the problem, like getting the flow of, of folks, which we have upwards of 300 who are living in encampments in Santa Barbara. Really into the system, into services, and ultimately into bridge and the permanent housing. And because of the Loma fire, that sort of highlighted uh, the, the need that was happening. And, um, you know, council approved uh, $1.6 million to pilot um, connecting bridge housing, creating a master lease at, at the Rose Garden Hotel with the encampment cleanups and using CityNet as our partners who are doing both that street um, outreach but also they're managing the hotel and working with um, the unhoused who are now at the hotel um, to get them into permanent housing and services and so we're not done yet Uh, the pilot is is going until early November. So we'll be back in, in council then to talk more about the next steps. And I would say this piece of learning how to manage the encampments, get them cleared, and then and getting folks into services is, is working really well. We've learned a lot about how much outreach it takes um, and how eager, honestly, a vast majority of, of the unhoused are for what's, what's called... Um, you know, uh, non-congregate shelter, and I mean, right, right, they're in individual hotel rooms, and so they have a little bit more privacy and, and some sometimes dignity associated with that. Yeah. Um, so, what we do next is is still up for for discussion. We um, we're working really well with the county and the the county really oversees the continuum of care programming a lot of the money that's coming from the state and federal agencies to be able to um, permanently house people and so for example there's this big release of housing vouchers and money that we have 215 in the county um for long-term housing and there's upwards of over $5,500 worth of incentives in addition to rent for, um, for property owners and man- managers to take um, folks who are in bridge housing who are in temporary housing and put them into long-term housing. And that's really our pinch point right now, mm. because we have the money, we have the vouchers, but we're having a challenge finding enough space for our folks. And in the pilot, we have 58 people who, who have come through through the through the pilot so far. We have about 40 that are still living at the hotel. And so that's what we're working through right now is what does that basically let that pipeline look like to make sure that we keep those folks safe um, in the, over the next few months? And then how do we build on what we've learned with the pilot?
0: Wow, it's really interesting. Uh, there are a lot of perceptions of homelessness in you know in the community, everywhere in California, throughout the country. I think that what's particularly impressive about this initiative is that we're dealing with people who are in these fire areas who who aren't the ones who are maybe you know living in the urban areas, and maybe some panhandling associated with these are people who are sleeping um, you know, out away from people. And I know the people I've talked to who are sort of critics of the program, they sort of say those people, they want to live there. Okay, They, 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 they like living in a remote areas away from people. Um, they, they choose to live there. Uh, they're not the ones who uh, are going to want to move into supportive housing or something like that. Can you talk about that from your experience with this program? And you kind of touched on it, that people were willing to do it. But was it a big fight to get people out of the encampments, to go stay in a hotel? What were those attitudes?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Josh, because I think even a lot of service providers, um, particularly in the nonprofit world who, who work with the unhoused, would uh, say similar things, because those who live in encampments tend to be more of the, the chronically homeless, those who have been on the streets for five or, or more years. And what we found that combination of the street outreach, so the, the regular visitation, and, and that can take, you know, 15 or 20 times of visits, right, a building that type trust and rapport with an individual because they may have been burned by in the past by the system as well. I mean, a whole host of reasons. But that coupled with having the hotel rooms um, made it much easier than we thought to be able to move people from these unsafe conditions into safe housing and get them working on their paperwork and towards and towards permanent housing and services, whether that's mental health services or, you know, addiction services or or whatever it is. Um, And that's what I hope that we as a region can can build on and make more of an investment in this sort of like short to medium term housing, coupled with the outreach. So and and it, it allows also our law enforcement to make discernments about who who's just unhoused and really just needs help in getting into the system versus those who are really more of the, the chronic criminals and it, it gives them a lot more tools to work with too and I and I think it, it helps their their overall efforts
0: it sounds it's hard obviously for me to put myself in, in their shoes right but the opportunity to have warm shower, you know, and shelter and pr- a little bit of privacy. I mean, some of them probably share a room, but I mean that sounds like wow, what a what a godsend. <laughs> like I have this opportunity. So um you're saying that uh November is that's when the program's sort of supposed to end, it'll probably be continued or there'll be some talk about it. But um, is the goal will some of these people go back into an encampment life or are you? Is the city committed to finding housing for all of them?
1: We're really working on the the commitment for yeah. for finding the housing, and that's uh, that's a little bit where we're in this um, this gap right now because and to d- identify where that money is going to come from because there's a there's a lot of pieces in play right now. Um, the there's there's money coming from the state through the county to be able to. Um, do more of this bridge housing that's really not going to be available until February or March, so we, we have this like four to five month gap before that that funding becomes available. There are a couple of other projects, um, one that the county's working on right now, um, that also could help in that in the transitional housing so it's it's a it's a lot of chess pieces that are going on right now and then and that's that's just part of the options we'll be bringing forward to council um, in the next month to talk
0: about and and the hotel that they're at is it not easy is it obviously must be complicated but you say hey we want to we want to house them here for another four months till february Uh, would they go for that because it's sort of guaranteed or is that there are there other issues there
1: you know, I I think it it is still a good option. We uh, the other piece that we've shown with this pilot is that, that master leasing a whole facility is um, is quite is quite doable and can be mutually beneficial right? because the hotel is getting a steady source of income. Um, they know that all the, the the rooms are rented and paid for, and at the same time, it allows our service provider to have control around security and, and, and management of, of um, those who are residing there. So it, it, I, I think it showed a real win-win opportunity. I think that they, they could be interested in doing something like that. Um, if not, there are ha- there are also a couple of other hotels that the county has worked with as well over the last year or so, yeah. providing similar services. So it's definitely, I think, a good model for our right. community.
0: OK, and, and last thing on this topic, before this decision was made, there was talk of a tent tent at a parking lot, a large tent. Uh, There's talk of Galita, or, you know, finding a spot in the county. Um why? Why is this sort of housing situation, the Rose Garden Inn and other hotels, possibilities better than a parking lot with a tent? Or is a parking lot with a tent, if done well, could work too?
1: You know, Josh. Other communities have used more of these uh, tent um, facilities, and what. I would say is that it's really not necessarily a good good match for us. I'm really pleased that we we went the the hotel route and, and would support the hotel route. I think just in terms of logistics, it's it's much more challenging to set up and and manage um, these tent communities. It's also um, just there's more concern around um, you know access or like controlling of the elements right whether it's too hot or too cold or too windy and you know and and the aesthetics honestly too I mean that's another that's another piece of it as well so I I think looking at hotels or even like converting you know unused um, office buildings things like that are a much better alternative for bridge housing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your other work at the city in the last few years. And then I want to go into your new position, which um, is a really big deal. But um, I've sort of watched you give reports and talk about environmental projects and sustainability at the city. And I went and reviewed some of my stories. And, you know, you've come up with the shopping cart uh, ordinance, uh, obviously the plastic straws a few years ago. And you were sort of in a new department that Paul Casey had had created a few years ago, former city administrator, Paul Casey. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about your work and what you were doing environmentally and I imagine will still continue to do in some role? What are some of the highlights?
1: Oh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, uh, it's true. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, we created a new department, the Sustainability and Resilience Department, to recognize the... Really, the the level of effort um, of work that's already being done in the city, and that sustainability issues are one of the, the top um, issues that we're we're facing in terms of our long term planning for the for the community. And so, I have been acting along with Cameron Benson as the co director of this inaugural um, department. It's it's still in evolution, but we did bring in um, uh, my. Uh, division, the environmental services um, okay. division, along with energy and climate, because they're two of the probably, like, most prominent like work that that's happening. So from the department um, side, that's what's happening and it will continue to evolve. And, uh, you know, we have been really um, busy Right. In terms of bringing forward new environmental and sustainable initiatives forward in the city of the last few years. And a couple of the things that you're referring to around like the straw ban and the um, the other single use plastic, like the the styrofoam to go containers, um, coordinates, those sorts of things that, you know, they're they're important. And there's always a question around why regulate materials that are a small percentage of the waste stream, right? But they're really important to raise awareness around the whole um, kind of to-go culture and the use of single-use materials and really the true cost to the community and, and habitats. You, these materials are ubiquitous, ubiquitous litter. They kill animals and they're not recyclable. And in Santa Barbara, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year picking up litter and most of it's straws and food wrappers and food containers and plastic bottles. Um, So it, and the cost, I think, which sometimes people don't necessarily make the connection is that the cost of doing all of that is born locally, Mm -hmm. right? That ends up getting embedded into our rates and if we were thinking more holistically about how materials are made and how they're used in the first place. And, um, you know, the, the true cost of those materials would probably be upfront, right? So a, so a beverage container might seem really inexpensive, but it's not when a local community is spending, you know, most of their money that then to be able to collect it and then try to, to process it. Yeah. So that's a lot of the, the, Behind the scenes of why um, we go to those efforts to to create these ordinances, and it helps with the conversation at the state and to some extent the federal level, right? Because then you start to see changes in in requirements overall. So, so that's kind of the the why behind yeah. those ordinances over the last few years. And um, you know, and the other piece of that, I don't know if people were paying attention to. Um, kind of around 2017-18 when uh China and other Asian countries were closing their borders to our material they didn't want to process it anymore and that was a real wake-up call I think to to North America generally that um, we can't just ship our problems away overseas and also the dirty little secret was that they weren't really recycling all those plastics. Yeah. A lot of them were getting burnt and incinerated. And so it's changing the conversation overall about um, you know, what do we do and and, and what's really responsible.
0: Yeah, I used to think we could recycle plastic bags and then one day I'm like, you you can't recycle those anymore, you know, these, these little things that we think we know and it's actually much more layered or things change or China stops accepting them so it's really interesting and then are you involved with the, the natural gas ban with with new construction or that conversation is that is that part of your department as well.
1: We are that did that did come out of our department yeah. as as well, and so it we're we're one of the, yeah, I think now up to forty um, cities in the state of California that have some sort of, of natural ban uh, natural gas ban. So again, it's an important part of the conversation, and even though we only focused on new construction, so it's a, it's a very small slice of um, natural gas use. Again, it helps change that um, conversation and raise awareness overall about um, the shifts that we need to, to make in the community
0: okay so let's talk about your new position i you know you got the press release you know new assistant city administrator renee irely and uh it's like whoa that's that's kind of cool well like you know she's she's been doing a lot over there in the environmental department and now she's going to have this new role so can you talk to me about what this means for you and what it means for the city and sort of what 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 can people expect
1: um, I, I can uh, thank you for that, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm quite you know, pleased to have the, the role. It is still interim, um, yeah, so we're. I I expect for the next several months, um, in probably six to eight months, it would be my best guess. I officially start on Monday, okay. but I definitely want to hit the ground running. Um, you know, I'm really excited to work with uh, Rebecca in this new capacity. She and I have worked together for the last. Several years on um, multiple different projects. I think we we get along really well and and communicate well together. So I'm I'm happy to be supporting her um, in, in her new role. And, and I'm excited for the future of Santa Barbara. I you know we're dealing with we're dealing with a lot of issues that are gonna shape the city for the next 50 years. I mean, obviously like homelessness, housing more generally, State Street. And what I hope to bring to my time in this position is, you know, some learnings that came to me and how I approach my work, but really came out of my my time in in working for the city of San Jose. And it's around fostering teamwork and looking at our work sort of like through the lens of continuous improvement. So I, I think we have a great opportunity to look at the city is more of as, as again like one city, and we're serving every, everyone who works for the city is serving the community. And so, to me, I'm I like to do my work in collaboration and by bringing people to the table to address an issue. And it matters less to me about where they sit in the organization as opposed to that attitude and perspective and experience that they're bringing. So that's that's really one of my goals. Um, Obviously, they continue working on homelessness and uh, coordinating that across the city, because I think one, one of the things we've shown over this last year is that it takes an interdisciplinary approach and a lot of focus to make change. And I want to make sure we continue on that path. Um, and then we're also, you know, looking for increased communication and transparency, you know, both within the the, the organization, of the city, but really, you know, outwards with the community. Mm-hmm. And... I'm really happy, you know, I don't know if you know, but we just, um, we're in the process of hiring a community engagement officer, and we just hired our first ever information technology director. And I think both of these positions are going to be key in shaping, like, the city's voice and our conversation with our neighbors, and, and we've never had that before, we've never had that kind of, of focused attention. And so it, I think that's it's a really important piece of what needs to um, be worked on this next year.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I, I heard about that and, uh, the city of Santa Barbara always puzzled me that we didn't have somebody who sort of did that role. I know we've had, you know, other people in that, in city hall who've, who've done, done part of it, but they've had other responsibilities as well. So I think a community engagement officer is a really good, good, uh, uh decision, you know, with the right person. So, uh, that's going to be cool. Uh, and then, uh, Let's talk about you. Like like this, you're coming in from being a department head, co-department head with Cameron Benson, and now you're in this role here at City Hall and. Uh, you're jumping, you know, from the proverbial fire from the frying pan into the fire a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, obviously, Renee, you know, I'm not, I don't want to like you know dig up a whole bunch of trouble here. But city's in a time of transition. Okay, we've had lots of department heads leave, uh, change. We got some political turmoil, litigation. We've got a lot of things. So on one hand, it's sort of this time to have kind of this rebirth of the city, right? It's like, it's got to sort of change and evolve. And sometimes that evolve evolution comes naturally on its own. Sometimes it's forced for a variety of reasons. So we're definitely seeing the city evolve here and it's going to become something else than it has been for the last few years. So it's really an exciting time. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you feel knowing that there's so much attention at city hall, whether it's the homelessness issue, whether it's reviving state street and and getting some of those vacant storefronts filled. And and then it's an election year. So everybody's making everything sound like it's a hundred times worse than it is so that they can obviously get elected. Things are bad, but you know, election year things get amplified. Um, Can you talk about like sort of how you feel walking into this, this high-profile position now, where you're going to be a, a little bit more of a focus of scrutiny from people.
1: Absolutely, and I I agree with you in the, the framing it of as a rebirth in in a lot of ways. And um, I again, like I I'm invigorated by it in, in many ways. I've been lo- in local government, you know, in, in several different cities. Over the past twenty plus years, um, and you know, and change is a part of it. And right now, we are in in a big, and we are in a big flux. Um, we've certainly had a number of people leave, but I with the new hires comes new opportunity to rethink again how we serve the community. And we, I again, I think it's invigorating, and I think it will motivate us in a lot in a lot of new ways. And you know, I and I think we have a good combination of still of new and um and experience. And you know, and I will refer back to, to Rebecca. Right. I mean, she obviously she has a lot of experience and perspective to the job, but is always looking for new ways to provide services. And you know, I think I I I, I look to I look to bring, and and I I am happy to be scrutinized for whether I actually bring that or not. But to to bring, um, some you know decisiveness decisiveness and and clarity, um, to this transitional time, and, um, you know, and you know, and just make sure that we're we're being clear about our priorities, and 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 you know, and having on honest conversations about them. And I and I think you know that's what we can do. And I'm you know I'm obviously like I'm not. I'm not, I'm sensitive to political, you know, flows and, and interests, but I am not, I'm not political. My job is to, is to serve the community and bring the best recommendations forward. And I'm happy to be judged by that one way or the other.
0: And and what would you say, i would just ask you kind of one specific question here. Uh, Homelessness, you obviously have that expertise when it comes to helping people from the encampments into the hotel downtown right it's an issue we have this business community the property owners it's like city hall city hall city hall this and that Um, do you have any thoughts anything you'd like to share about how people can work together to solve this this complex problem Uh, you know you are not political but of course people will blame the city for everything that goes wrong but what what are some ideas or what are the things you've heard that you think could be part of the, the long-term solution to some of those challenges downtown?
1: You mean more broadly around around downtown? Yeah, yeah like
0: just dealing with yeah. like concern. You know, we've heard candidates say, I won't bring my kids downtown because of the homeless issue, you know, and you know, you got vacant storefronts, so it kind of overlaps. But from a city administrator's position, not not taking sides on who's right or who's wrong, but you know, you got Jason Harris in there who's working on some of these issues, but what are some of the thoughts you have in sort of addressing these people's concerns?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, I, I, under, I understand, I obviously understand their concerns, absolutely. And I feel like it, that there's pieces, there's a lot of pieces that are in play right now that can really start to give us even some some short term gains. and if you're looking at homelessness for it for a you know example like we actually do have this like night you know 90 180 day you know plans in place you know around state street and some of the short term housing that's coming into play i think will will help alleviate some of the the stress on on state street some of it ties back into more broadly around this idea around neighborhood vibrancy that that i think about where a lot of our neighborhoods whether it whether it's downtown or or mil you know or milpis or a lot of other ones are i think feel that they love their neighborhoods and not but also don't necessarily feel like there's enough kind of like concerted um concentrated effort right in dealing with some of these kind of like low hanging and higher hanging fruit. And so we I think we have a lot of the tools in place. It's maybe it's maybe like rearranging the deck about how we approach those. And so when you're looking at something like downtown and not just the homelessness but whether people feel like it's clean enough or yeah. you know those kind of like simple things that can quickly change someone's perception of an area but really are very like easy fixes because we have we we have contractors or you know teams in place that you know that handle cleaning you know areas for example and so it's it's how do you then organize that deployment in a way that kind of quickly shifts the environment right. and 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 there are there are lots of ways to do that and i think we're starting to have this conversation so right.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, it's it's a really exciting time, fresh ideas, new ideas, new vision. Uh, You know, there may may or may not be changes on the city council, but it's, it's a really exciting time to be part of the conversation going forward for whoever's going to be there. So let me talk a little bit or ask you about you a little bit, because I've I've never met you one on one, you know, I've covered city hall for forever, going back to when I was at the news press in 1999 and i think you joined in 2016 to the city of santa barbara 17
1: early 17 okay Mm -hmm.
0: and so um can you talk a little bit about yourself your background where you came from i know you worked in the bay area for a while you know who's who's renee irely how'd you become such this environmental expert
1: sure i i'd love to um a little bit um i'm I'm from South Carolina originally. I I went to the University of South Carolina. I have a degree in biology and a master's in public policy and environmental management from Yale. Um, I've worked in public sector um, areas pretty much my entire career even, and and generally in that environmental sustainability um, lane. Even when I was consulting, I was still working with, with public agencies mainly, mainly local governments. And so I, I have lived in, I had lived in the Bay Area for almost 20 years. I did a a few years up in Portland, Oregon, um, as well, and then came back to San Jose. And I was working there as a, there's the sustainability and, and, um, compliance manager before I came to Santa Barbara mm. uh, I moved here yeah almost five years ago and I really you know was looking for a, a change of pace changes a change of scenery and I it was a great it was a great opportunity and kind of almost like very like kismic at all very it fell in place very easily um, my mm-hmm. mom's also she's from she was from Bakersfield
0: mm-hmm. so I have
1: a a lot of Relatives around here in Southern California and Central Valley. Um, So I, um, she was a first generation Mexican American. My dad, who's from South Carolina, they both met and married um, when they were in the Navy. I come from a a big military family. Um, I grew up in a beach resort town on the, on the coast of South Carolina, which is also in a rural county. So while really different culturally, I feel a lot of similarities here that I, that I love.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you talk about working in the Bay area, you know, and I, I worked the news press for seven years till 2006. And then I, I went and got a job at the San Jose Mercury news. And I remember Feeling. The
1: mercury.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember <laughs> thinking, wow, this is the best job I've ever had. This is so cool. And they yeah. had to cover San Jose City Hall. So I was in the Bureau. That, at yeah. that time, they had a, a, a Bureau at City Hall. So can you mm-hmm. imagine if, you know, you're at City mm-hmm. Hall and, you know, mm-hmm. I work in exactly. the building and I just walk up the yeah. stairs. It's just like you had exactly. all this. Exactly, I know
1: where that room is. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So you had all this access. Also, I had never had any excuses why you couldn't talk to your sources because you know you go get them on the elevator if you needed to. But but I remember it was was it was uh, it was difficult. It was tough because even though so much of what I had learned, you know, in school through journalism and then practicing it professionally, now you're on this like big stage and you're dealing with people who you know, there, there's uh, so such professionalism and there's so many people who are so good at what they do. And, you know, one Santa Barbara is the size of one district in San Jose. You know, it's just like, that's just one little conversation with a council member. So I remember just, it was so fun and it was so exciting and it took a while to get to know all the areas uh, that I'd be covering and I'd get to know the cultures of those communities and what are the issues and that sort of thing. You had it sort of the reverse, right? So you went from mm-hmm. sustainability in San Jose to Santa Barbara. What was the same? What was different? What, what were the things that you sort of um, would notice when you when you transitioned from the tenth biggest city in the country to, you know, the American Riviera? What, what was that like? Yeah, uh,
1: you know, it was it was surprisingly. Um, Easy in a, in a lot of ways for me, and and maybe because I I come from a, a smaller community too, and and had grown up obviously had grown up in that. Um, one of the similarities I would say is that while San Jose is tremendous, to, like just in in size and population, it is the tenth largest city in the the country. the The types of services offered here in Santa Barbara are. Remarkably the same. It's just at it's just at a different scale. So that was one of the things, one of the things that really appealed to me about Santa Barbara is just how like fully like functioning it, it is. And so it has the same challenges um, and opportunities too. Um, and I really like one of the differences between San Jose and Santa Barbara is just the level of community involvement here. Um, In in this community, and that might not necessarily be a function of the size, but it certainly is the the culture here for that high level of engagement and that was one of the real challenges in working in such a such a huge community in San Jose was to um, to really make sure that you weren't talking in an echo chamber, right as as staff, um, because getting getting feedback from, from the community was much more challenging. And, and it was also interesting working in San Jose because even though they were so large, I would say until the last 10 years, they didn't necessarily think of themselves that way, right? In, in some ways it's been the most recent mayor, um, uh, Sam Licardo, I think who has changed the face of San Jose because mm-hmm. he's been much more engaged at the national level both in, in politics and also in press. And it's kind of changed it from, from like this sleepy city that nobody knew about and um, into one that is in a lot of ways, I think, taking itself a lot more seriously in terms of its influence.
0: Yeah, when I was there, Chuck Reed was the mayor and mm-hmm. Sam was- I was there um, during
1: Chuck. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, okay. And Sam Sam was uh, one of, obviously, the district council members, but mm-hmm. he's one of these people who like, wherever he went, he's like- he's going somewhere, you know, he's yes, going to be exactly the mayor right. or he's going to do something because he's super ambitious and you know, real smart too. And, you know, and now, yeah, he's totally political. He's, he's gets all kinds of attention, good and bad. You know, it's San Jose is a real sort of hotspot now, you know, for what they do. Absolutely. So, so it's really interesting. Now, I want to go back to a couple of things you said, you said your parents met in the army. Did I hear that right? Or Navy.
1: Navy. the Navy. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so what did your father and your mother do if you don't mind? What was that? Uh, no,
1: I, I don't. Uh, no, they, uh, so this was um, you know, late in the Vietnam War era and my mom was a wave. Uh, I, one of the stories I love about her is that she she's her older brothers had all signed signed up uh, for different military service and she wanted to leave Bakersfield and join the Navy and couldn't even swim. So I just so I don't know why he picked it um, and my my dad was um, in a, a aviation uh, electronics uh, uh, engineer and so they they met actually at um, uh, out in Maryland uh, where at, at a site where they tested um, uh, uh, squadrons and to make sure that they were um certified to be able to land on carriers. So that's where the meant. So
0: and did you have any uh or I'd say did they travel a lot or were you sort of a or is a kid? Yeah, I was
1: I was really young when when they um they got out of the the Navy mm-hmm. and, and then we moved to South Carolina. Atlanta, so we traveled we traveled a lot um,
0: did you have any military aspirations growing up or you knew no
1: you know um no i i, I didn't my dad did for me um because he had uh, he had grown up going to military boarding school and had a commission to the um uh, naval academy and had decided to go another route and then still ended up in the navy and so i think that was one of his early hopes for me is that i might be interested in that as well but uh, it, was, it was not a path that, that I, I
0: wanted to take though. Obviously, I have a lot of respect
1: for the military and
0: all my family members who are in it. Yeah, and you yeah. grew
1: up I don't in... know whether I- okay. Go ahead. No,
0: no, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, you said you grew up in South Carolina, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's, can you talk to me a little bit about your interest in, in biology and eventually public policy, but did, were you someone who knew what you wanted to do from an early age? Um, what, what was your interest in the sciences?
1: That yeah, out? I I did uh, kind of. I would say I would say that so I am someone who has always been and continue to be interested in everything. Um, I think that's probably part of what attracts me to um, public service. Just generally, uh, it, it is my 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 interest in so many different topics. But I was always an, an outdoorsy person. Um, you could not get me inside. I I. Um, I'm still to this day a big backpacker and um, so I think getting to know our region like through our trails and, and everything has been a lot of fun for me over the last few years and I just I just had a real love and affinity for the natural world and so I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like but I, I knew it. I was always wanted to do something around our natural environment and and biology. I mean, I, I grew up in 4-H, um, raising sheep and rabbits, and um, I don't know, I've always had a lot of dogs and cats, and I rescue a lot of animals, so maybe I should, you know, <laughs> who knows, I might end up running a rescue someday, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and <laughs> that's that
0: how brings- I got into it. Yeah, and I, I noticed on your social media um, that uh, you spend a lot of time with horses or and, and equestrians. Uh, do you? What's that? Or do you have a ranch or do you ride? Or I, it's just I just I, find it fascinating, really cool. Yeah.
1: Uh, I thanks for asking. I I do too. I came to horses late in my in my life. I'd always um, I was always one of those I think horse crazy girls, but did not uh, really take my first riding lesson until about. Fifteen years ago, and got oh. completely hooked, um, and wanted to know everything about them. I I currently have two horses. I've had four. This is where the rescue piece of my okay. <laughs> personality comes in. Yeah. Um, but now I, now I only have two, and I just I just love everything about them. Um, they fascinate me. They've taught me a lot about. Uh, communication and boundary setting um because just having to to interact either on the ground or riding a, a 1200 pound animal when you you know weigh a tenth of their you know their weight it's a really fascinating relationship to me um and i i also jump them which is terrifying and thrilling uh so i that keeps me super engaged and i don't I don't have a ranch. I've always boarded my horses, but when I came to, to Santa Barbara, this, again, like this opportunity opened up to be able to live on a ranch um, where I was boarding them. And I thought I would, I would take that opportunity at least for a couple of years to, to be able to have that really daily interaction with them. And so that's what I'm doing right now.
0: So are you one of these people who uh, with, with the horses, you feel the horse can sense the other person's personality and their intent and whether their are wow. their energy levels. Um, Cause yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've heard that. And I, whenever mm-hmm. I'm around horses, I'm always like really cautious because they're so intimidating and they're majestic. Mm-hmm. And you're like, right there. You're like, Whoa, these horses are so big, you know, and I'm always like real cautious and people are always like, you know that horse. They're going to feed off your energy, and you know they're going to get nervous around you. You know, I'm just like I'm just yeah. trying to appreciate. But so I guess that's part of the yeah. horse understanding too. It's just that they're, yeah. they're, they're perceptive. I guess
1: they 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 absolutely are. And you know, i would, you know, I would say that. I mean, we we are as a, you know as animals, and all animals are. I mean, honestly, right? Like up to 85 percent of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. But in working with horses, I think there's um, there is at least for me, like the, that heightened kind of um, interaction, because it's true, not only are they really large, but th- they are herd animals. And so they depend on being able to pick up really subtle cues for their own survival um, when they're living in the wild. And they, they still, they maintain that even though they're domesticated animals. And so they, um, yes, they can, they can definitely um, shift your change in, in energy. And part of what I mean by that is really just like the change in your breathing or the change in your heart rate they yeah. can feel that amongst each other so they can certainly feel that from from us too
0: and the jumping uh where do you do that is that like a carpenteria thing or do you have to travel the <laughs> <That's it>.
1: i'm <laughs> there uh there are a, a, yeah a, a number of good uh, uh and, and excellent even um uh jumping uh, facilities around in the bay area i'm in mean, the bay area and it's in the barbara area and i am i'm actually uh, researching and new ones right now, but, uh, but yeah, so there's there's a lot of them around.
0: My kids and I were watching the Olympics, and uh, we're watching the you know the equestrian and the jumping Oh, he
1: did good for you,
0: yeah. It was just just it's it's so like whoa, look at that, you know. And they were always like, you know, how come the horse rider gets the medal? The horse should get the medal. You know, they're doing all the work. <laughs> you're because...
1: Exactly, you're exactly <laughs> well,
0: right. They're the ones doing all the work. And then, uh, <laughs> it's so weird because I guess they were in Tokyo and then I was reading some stories about some of the riders had very little time with their horses. So I guess, you know, I don't know if those horses were the same horses that they had worked with all this time. Um, Like, or if there were horses in, in Japan, but there's just so much, do you know about that? I mean, it was sort of, it was interesting. There's this one scene where like somebody got disqualified because they kind of put the punch the horse. It was, it was like so much. Yes. to it. Yes, uh, there really was. And
1: that, that is a, that is a a different, um, event than, than the, the, the straight, I would say straightforward, like jumping or eventing events where you are using your own horse and you travel, you travel with that horse in, Uh in that event, it's, it's more like a triathlon, um, kind Uh of event. And that is part of it is riding different horses. You've you've never ridden before. Uh So there was a lot of controversy around, um, that um that event or and person and her and the horse she was riding because um he was already pretty stressed out from my understanding from the reports i've read and she was not handling that well and really she should have withdrawn from the competition as opposed to trying to Force him it. to jump and, and beat, beat him essentially is what she did so
0: yeah it's like we feel really bad for the yeah. horse you know when no yeah
1: there. absolutely it, it was it was really unconscionable like um sportsmanship it was she should have been disqualified
0: so. have you been able to stay healthy with all your horse riding um you know if you had had a fall or anything or has it been pretty good so far <laughs>
1: um <laughs> I, I I have only been taken to the hospital twice so oh. far. I get, I feel like I should knock on wood on that one, um, piece, but it, it's part of, it's part of the sport for sure, right? I mean, you're you're dealing, dealing with an animal that has its um its own mind, and it's a communication between the two of you, and they get spooked by things. So I, uh, yeah. So so some mostly like minor like cuts and bruises. I have. Um, I tore a rotator cuff once and I um, I fell off and cracked three ribs once too. And um, they were all my fault. I mean, totally um, my fault, but
0: yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, like, I guess that's the cliche comes, you know, you get right back on the horse, you know, because you think yeah. you have an injury like that. You're like, I'm done. I'll do something else. But there's so much reward, I guess. It's worth, you know, continuing it to do it. Uh, yeah,
1: absolutely. I've ridden a
0: few horses, but, you know, I've never found that connection yet, you know where i want to keep, keep doing it you know kind of thing i think i always get stuck with the the wild horse or something you know where i'm holding on for my dear life you know for the horseback ride but um you oh, know just uh so anyway it's, it's just sort of interesting and then you mentioned uh, sort of the hiking and the outdoors santa barbara's perfect place for that of course you know there's so many outdoor hiking trails uh to be a part of um, let's kind of bring this full circle you mentioned that you are uh Uh, Interim Assistant City Administrator and I think Rebecca Bjork is also interim right they're doing a national search technically so I mean not technically they are Um, so uh, you know I think with with uh, there's always debate like hires like you, you hire someone new from outside bring somebody from within, you know? And I think like, at least with these two positions, I don't know what the council is going to do, but, you know, hiring from within seems like, you know, a really good idea since these are people who can, 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 you know, know the city and know what it's been through and serve as sort of that, that core while you're sort of rebuilding with the new blood and the new, new energy from, from outside. But um, obviously that'll be up to, I guess, Rebecca and whoever gets the position, you know, uh, long-term if it's not her, but um let's talk a little bit to we'll bring this full circle where's the city headed in the next few months what are some of the initiatives that you think we're going to be working on and moving moving toward to um as it relates to your work at city hall
1: yeah well i th- i think no question that homelessness housing and the state streets future will be the the top three areas that um that we across the city are going to be focused on um, you know, obviously, they're, they're, they're the three elements that have risen to, to the top over the last couple of years that need um, serious attention, and you know that's definitely where we're planning to put our focus.
0: Yeah, and uh, are you working on any specific, like, do you have specific assignments as Assistant City Administrator? Um, there's Rebecca Bjor- Bjork, and then there's you, and then Jason Harris as Economic development manager um you know when i was there in the early 2000s there was joan kent i mean there was jim armstrong there was joan kent pete wilson was there a little bit before that there there, marcelo lopez was there of course um you know nina's on a leave but she works in that office Uh, do you have a specific area that you're going to be focused on
1: so right now rebecca and i are still um working that out about how we split out those divisions of labor between between the two of us. And so we'll, we'll have more understanding over that, and, you know, I think in the next week, again, I, I officially started on Monday. So oh, cool. we'll be, yeah, we'll be getting all that worked out this week.
0: So are you working in the building? You're going to move your stuff? Yes, yeah. oh,
1: yes, right. yes. We'll be up in, yeah, in city hall. So,
0: so now you're going to be right, you know, city council meetings, all the action right there. Same <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Okay, well, um, Renee, I really appreciate you taking time talking about all the work that the city's been working on stuff specifically you're doing environmentally, and then uh, you know this exciting time new um, interim assistant city administrator what an incredible position job opportunity. And, um, uh, everything I've heard from, from people, and uh, they found out I was going to, um, have you as a guest on the show, like, like, Oh, she's amazing. She's great. I, well, you know, she's really smart. She knows her stuff, like really a lot of enthusiasm behind you and your, uh, a new position here at City Hall. So I'm looking forward to watching that. And until we're allowed back in the building, I'll be on my Zoom, you know, quoting you and sort of, uh, you know, telling the story of the city during this exciting sort of time. And thanks for taking time to talk about your, uh, you know, personal story too, because it's really fascinating.
1: Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Thank you so much too. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I look forward to when we don't have to do this on Zoom. So
0: yeah, hopefully Mm -hmm. soon. Okay, thanks a lot, Renee. Take care, have a great
1: day. Thank you. You too. Great.